Hi everyone, this is Caleb, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner podcast. And today, I am honored to be joined by three guests today. The first being Crystal Chang, Stuart Hall, and Candace Wynn. And Crystal and Stuart have been on the podcast before this is Candace's first time on the podcast and just very much looking forward to bringing this, uh, just this conversation to you. And I'll get into, uh, what we were talking about, uh, a, a little bit later in that, but you know, here on the learner's corner, we want to uh, be a place to where we can engage in every sort of conversation. We, in fact, we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations and really any conversation. We want to be a place to where you can explore, you can learn, you can grow, you can engage in your curiosity. And we want to help you on, I want to help you on that that journey of lifelong learning. And that's why one of the things that I do is I send out a Substack newsletter each and every single week with three things that I am thinking about, three things that I'm learning from that are provoking my curiosity and engaging my imagination. And it it is literally anything. It could be a movie to a book, to a podcast, to a YouTube video, to a song. Really, there there is no uh, fiction story. There is no limit to what it could potentially be. All that it has to do is engage my imagination. Could be a quote as well. And again, if you're wanting uh, to go on that lifelong journey, or if you are on that life journey, I would just recommend picking it up. Because one of the things that I know is that it's hard to find good things to learn from. And I want to be a little bit of a filter for you. Or maybe give you a little bit more targeted uh, suggestions. Or give you some options. Because it's hard to find good things to learn from. And it could be expensive doing that as well. So this this conversation, this idea actually began um, earlier this year. I was at the Orange Conference and talked with... Uh, was catching up with Stuart there and he was telling me about uh, some of the work at Orange about uh, deconstruction and everything and I thought man this would be a really fun uh, time to have just a conversation and so today I'm talking with Stuart and Crystal and with uh, Candace as well and so let me tell you a little bit about them and then we can jump into the conversation that we got to have around deconstruction and faith and reconstructing your faith and and being on, being honest about just the hardships of life and faith as well. So let me tell you a little bit about them, and then we can jump into the conversation. So Crystal Chang is the executive director of student strategy at Orange. Before joining the team at Orange, she spent 10 years as a high school Spanish teacher and student ministry leader, doing everything from small groups to speaking to curriculum design and she is the author of Starting Now, a 30-day guide to becoming who you want to be in college and the art of group talk for teenage girls. She graduated from the University of North Georgia with a degree in Spanish and education and has a master's degree in leadership and family ministry. And Crystal and her husband, Tom, live in Atlanta, Georgia with uh, their embarrassing, in, embarrassingly ill-tempered chihuahua, Javier, now, let me tell you a little bit about Stuart and Candace. So Stuart Hall is powered by 30 plus years of student leadership experience. He serves as director of student leadership for Orange and directs influencer, captains, and leader organization whose 
organizations whose mission is to fuel the next generation of leaders worth following, combining a unique balance of self-deprecating humor, anecdotal humor, iconoclastic insight, and powerful application. He travels and speaks to tens of thousands of students, leaders, and coaches and parents each year. He's co-authored three books and is a frequent contributor on the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. Now, let me tell you about Candace. Candace Wynn currently serves as an Orange student specialist. Before joining Orange, she she served as both a youth and next-gen generation pastor for 13 years in the Southeast USA. Candace is completely infatuated with all things urban and artsy. She's also the wife of a football coach. And so her weekends are typically spent engulfed in sports, working on an art project and talking about faith with her husband, Max, and their children as well. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. And he lives in uh, just north of Atlanta, Georgia, with his wife, Kelly. And him and uh, him and Kelly have three you know, young adult children as well. Now, well, Candace and Crystal and Stuart, welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. Hi. Hey, thanks for having us. Beauties and the Beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just as uh as we're getting started, you know, we're going to we're going to have this conversation around deconstruction and kind of ha- how to navigate that as well. But one of the places that I wanted to start this conversation is I anytime that I'm talking with somebody about a topic or anything like that, I love hearing where people are coming from on this topic as well. And so I would just love to hear, you know, kind of each of yours uh, introduction to deconstruction and kind of where this began for you as well. And so um, Candace, maybe you can get us started in that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's a bit of a complicated, I guess a complicated question that could probably last forever, but I'll give you a bit of a, the cliff notes version of it. for me, I think it's important to understand, you know, how I grew up, mm-hmm. right? And the spillover between home and church and not necessarily in the sense of how, you know, some people, some churches try to, you know, provide resources to the home to make some faith conversations really, really helpful, but more so, you know, home influencing me in a way of my grandmother, my, oh, both of my grandmothers, actually, my maternal and paternal grandmother, they really leaned into the space of, encouraging us to ask questions, right? Um, I was more of a quiet or shy child, didn't really say a whole lot because my sister was really, really vocal. And I felt like she was the one who would speak up and say things before I would. And um, she interjected her opinion a lot when they went on different topics in adult conversations. And my grandmother never, one of my grandmothers never said, be quiet. But I remember my maternal grandmother, you know, distinctly telling my sister, telling the adults, be quiet because Tiffany has something to say, you know, and in a lot of places, you know, children are meant to be seen and not heard and they're not supposed to interject in an adult conversation. But my grandmother inviting my sister's opinion into the conversation, you know, it, it unconsciously invited my opinion into the conversation because I believe that if I was more vocal too, then she would have welcomed my voice into that space too. And she welcomed my opinion and my thought 
And she really laid a foundation for me that my opinion, it mattered, right? And not just her space, but in the grander scheme of the world. Um, because my grandma was just sitting and listen to me, you know, and sitting and listen to what it is that I had to say. So therefore, translate that into to, to church, right? So when I go into church, you know, and in a lot of churches that I grew up in, I heard people say things like, God isn't meant to be doubted, or you don't ask questions of God. That didn't apply to me. I didn't feel like that applied to me because grandma said my opinion mattered, right? So all of the different questions that I had about God and faith and things, I felt like I had the freedom to process or engage or, or really ask. Um, and we weren't necessarily every Sunday attendees. You know, we went to a lot of different, I think my, my faith foundation is really unique and I grew up attending a seven day event in school for a, you know, a few years. And my mom had us in a Baptist and non-denominational churches. And then with my grandmother, I went to a Presbyterian church and then I went to a Catholic high school. So all of these different, you know, you know, denominations or really faith, it just really laid a different kind of foundation to me about, you know, of bringing it all together. Like, how do you bring it all together? And the way that I've grew to understand my faith as a child was through the conflicting narratives and me working to make sense of it myself. So I can't say that um, there was ever a moment for me as an adult where I really went through a major deconstruction process because it was something, because engaging the questions and doubting things and really working to get to the bottom of something was something that I felt like um, was a part of my entire formative formative experience that's the short version y'all i could probably go more talking about dinosaurs and you know <laughs> and things like that you know but yeah you know I, I one one of the things i want to follow up on real quickly is um you know you're you, you mentioned that your grandma asked, was just asking for your opinion was there anything else that you remember that she did that helped you just feel comfortable like just talking with her or just asking those things Oh, my grandmother was a talker and, and she, yeah. she, as much as she talked, she probably would listen to. I think my grandmother laid, looking back at, you know, gosh, I understand my, put like this, I understand my grandmother so much more now that I'm a parent, right? Mm -hmm. Because I look back at the things that my grandmother did and the conversation she invited us to and the oral tradition, she was big on oral tradition, you know, and the way that she would just make sure that our family understood our history and our ancestry, you know, the way the different things that she did like that. Um, she was laying laying a foundation for me of self pride, you know, um, being being a, a little black girl, right? Um, being of self pride and self worth and, and not allowing, you know, anyone to talk down upon you or take anything from you or, or just, you know, being confident in who you are. She really, really laid that strong foundation within me. Thank you for sharing that. Crystal, uh, do you want to continue and kind of tell us what your, uh, you know, your origin story with uh, deconstruction was or when you first started thinking about that? Totally. But first, I was listening to Candace and I could, I just kept thinking your grandma would be so Aww. proud because of what you're doing right now with, with Boone, which I know we'll talk about at some point and with all that you're leading, I just feel like grandma is like, that's my girl. So, um, that's Thank awesome. Thank you for that. So um, I've been in a lifelong process of deconstruction and reconstruction. It's a, it's a cycle. I grew up in a community that was super influenced by uh, the Southern Baptist culture and also super influenced by the Church of God, Tennessee. They don't believe the same things. My dad's family is Methodist. My mom's family was mm -hmm. holiness. And so there were always these layers 
of theology that had inconsistencies and in southern appalachia there's also a healthy dose of just oh. suspicion um and superstition and so i think culturally and and religiously i grew up as a kid hearing messages that regularly did not jive with each other and i got really inquisitive really early in life and pretty quickly i mean i'm talking six seven eight years old i remember asking questions and learning which questions were okay to ask and to whom and which questions were not okay to ask and who didn't know um it it became pretty apparent to me early on that like some people read the bible and some people said they read the bible <laughs> but they read it um so i think even as a little kid i began the process of deconstructing things i had heard and reconstructing other narratives around faith and then reconstructing wrong narratives and deconstructing those and that's continued well into adulthood um and then i know we're going to talk about this a little bit on the podcast today but just our family circumstance over the last couple of years, we lost our daughter and nothing will jolt you into deconstruction like losing a kid. And so it went from a long, slow deconstruction to a very rapid uh, rethinking and re-answering questions over the last couple of years. Stuart, how about for you? Well, I would, I would like to begin by saying to every watch viewer and listener, I work with these two incredible women. So it's, incredibly intimidating to follow these two um, and always has been and probably always will. I'll never be able to, um, I always feel like I'm playing catch up. I, I think Kelly and I both would say, uh, Kelly and I were incredible parents when we were parenting our non-existent children hypothetically. And then we had kids and began to rethink everything we thought um, mm. and I, one of the biggest things I think for both of us was re-examining the finish line for what it means to to birth, raise, and launch a passionate mm -hmm. follower of Jesus into culture. Mm -hmm. uh, we sent all three of our kids at least five hours away to very large schools that were incredibly diverse and you know, most would probably consider them liberal schools. Uh, I've said forever that the weakest conviction that you have is the one you've never tested. And watching our children test things that we invested in them didn't cause Kelly and I to move the finish line as much as it caused us to go, do we really have the right finish line? Um, and then as, you know, someone has wisely said that the cure for boredom is curiosity, but there is no cure for curiosity. Like the more curious that made Kelly and I, the, what I realized is that like Crystal and Candace, there are things that I have held on to that have no theological standing. And so one of the things we talk talk about in the research that we've done is that at some point everybody has this this crisis of belief this existential crisis and for me it was realizing i've been holding on to things that there is no theological weight holding this down so why am i so determined to hold on to something that you know can't it can't hold up against criticism against critical thought that's probably um, where i really felt that tension the most 
can you, uh, you know, maybe go a little bit deeper? And you, you mentioned the finish line that you and Kelly want with your kids. Can you kind of, you know, paint a little bit of a picture about what that looks yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, very simply, Paul talks about in Galatians that he, he writes the church in Galatians, and he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So in essence, what he's saying is that the evidence that the Spirit of God lives inside of you are these things. And unfortunately, uh, I didn't grow up in church, but Kelly grew up in a, a really legalistic, probably much like um, Crystal's upbringing, a very legalistic, this is what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And if we're, if we're being, if we're being, uh, uh, constructively critical of that standard, very little of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control was embedded in the standard. And so when we started thinking about that and then looking at our three children, we started going, how, how do we make sure that this is the fruit that's growing in their life and not this, because this doesn't lead to that many times. Mm. Um, and, and, Thus, the reason why the way of Jesus became much more of a constant language in our home. So, Crystal, I, I want to follow up on, on something that you mentioned. You said that, um, you know, it became very clear to you of who was willing to, you know, indulge you on, on your questions of faith and go on this journey with you and who who wasn't. I would love to hear from you and then you know, either uh, Stuart and Candace can jump in after after you give your thoughts. What helps you figure out whether or not someone can kind of handle your questions or has helped you determine of whether or not someone is willing to go on this uh, journey of curiosity and, and exploration of faith? <laughs> well, as a little kid, I remember watching my parents' shoulders as I would ask things. And it's to their to their credit, I was not easy to parent. <laughs> I was asking questions that some, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds might not have asked. I remember asking them, and I was probably first or second grade, um, if God created everything, why did God create a system where Jesus had to die? Mm. And they were like, uh, can you go color something right. for a minute? So it's entirely not their fault. I still wrestle with that yeah. question. But watching body language, is, to me, is the first tell. If somebody starts holding their breath the minute you start talking, I'll backpedal out of that conversation so fast. Um, or even as you present a, I've been thinking about, or I've been wondering in the form of a question, um, anytime someone responds to that with absolute right. certainty at, or, and maybe a hint of anger, I'm like, okay, this is, you're probably not the person I need to have this conversation with. Because if you're absolutely sure about every single thing you believe, I don't know that I'm helpful to you or you're helpful to me. So good. Candace, how about you? What's something that you look for in, in someone who can hold your questions well? So the, this is a very good question. Um, you know, I'd probably say, gosh, you know, I like, I like finding safety in people, right? And, and, and there, I feel like there's, over the years, there have been unconsciously things that I have done so how are we turning this into a therapy session? Let's start with that. Um, <laughs> but I feel like over the years, there have been things that I have unconsciously done, consciously or unconsciously or unconsciously, I'm not sure. And maybe it's consciously, right? Um, done to determine whether someone is safe. 
you know, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll test different things, just like, you know, Crystal has said, but, you know, for me, I feel like if, if people can't handle the simple questions, then I'm not going to, you know, engage them with, with the deeper questions. If they, you know, how vulnerable someone is willing to be with me personally, you know, if someone isn't willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable with me personally, then that means that I can't be vulnerable with you because I look at vulnerability as a two-way street, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to be the one that you, you're not just going to be on the receiving end of my vulnerability. I need to be on the receiving end of yours too, for this relationship to really go deeper. Right. And that helps me to feel, to feel safety. Um, I remember, so Crystal, my questions weren't as deep as yours, right? Maybe I just was, wasn't really, you know, engaged in faith in it, in it, in it. <laughs> in that kind of way. We're even normal. I think you were normal and I was an only child who had nothing better to do than sit around and think about it. I think I was so busy orchestrating a faith that Dennis, was- it was Fannin County. There there was nothing to do. <laughs> but, I remember, but I remember being a kid and asking my, and, and I don't remember whether I left church or what, but I remember asking my mom, just like, you know, to start with the basic question of where dinosaurs fit in, right? Mm -hmm. And my mom just like, I don't know, call your grandfather. And my grandfather, he wasn't <laughs> ordained at the time, but he was, he was, I don't know, he was probably a deacon or, or in the process of being ordained or something. He wasn't ordained until I was in middle school. And, but I remember, you know, I don't really remember his response, but I remember walking away from that conversation. And I remember thinking, the Bible, this isn't the whole story, you know, and I remember feeling like there's something that's missing here because I'm hearing this in the church and these different churches I'm going to, I'm hearing this thing in school. And now here I got a question. I feel like it should be a very basic question. Oh, they're found in Genesis 4, 17. You know what I'm saying? Like, or they're Genesis 1, 11. Like, I don't know, you know, but it, it, no one could give me a basic answer. And it, his response wasn't nestled in a, I don't know. It was nestled in a, and it feeling like he had to respond to me in some capacity. Mm -hmm. He had to have an answer. And it's not knocking my grandfather at all, because I felt like he wanted to have a response from me. He wanted to respond to me. He wanted to have something for me to help strengthen my faith. I think his desire was more out of wanting to strengthen my faith and not diminish and destroy my faith. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Stuart, how about you? What do you look I, I think I often regret the personality Enneagram that I am. I'm a four with a three wing, but a four, the four part of my personality means that I cannot stand superficial conversation. Hmm. So I am constantly fishing for, well, when I do go fishing for conversation, I wouldn't say I'm constantly fishing for it, but when I do go fishing for it, I want to have conversation that's below the surface. And if it's superficial, I really don't have that much time for it. That's part of the reason why I love Candace and Crystal, because I can, I can, I can drop anchor with them and we can have a deep conversation and I, and, and I feel safe. And the other part of this too, as a parent, it's taught me how to be that same person to our kids because our, you know, for every mom and dad watching and listening, your, your children desperately need a safe person to come to. And gosh, if it, if it's their mom and dad, that's a bonus. That's like, you know, cherry on type top icing, all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you have specific fishing questions that you like to ask people? He does. I'll yes. tell you one. Les, please. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know this only because my husband Tom and I are good friends with Kelly and Stuart. We love hanging out with them. And not long ago, we got to do uh, uh, like a a little food tour. Tom situation Chang with is them. the greatest foodie in the history of foodies. <laughs> and I don't think we were in to the first appetizer when Stuart goes. So what y'all thought about? <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're going deep. Let's go deep. And it just made me laugh because I was like, that's, that is the kind of friendships yeah. we want. And we talked about it after that night. We said, those are the kind of friendships we want. We are too old that's... to start every conversation with what are you right. watching on television? Yeah. We love talking to people that say, what do you fight about? What are you thinking about? What do you, what do you have questions about? So I like it when you <laughs> fish do. Sorry. <laughs> That's uh, actually kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't uh, be. It's a good thing. Uh, well, I was going to say, it's it's questions like that that lead to to the deeper conversations, right. just what you were talking about. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to, um, you know, what you mentioned, Stuart, that you guys discovered in your research. And you and you mentioned that at some point this this, I don't know, faith crisis or this, this faith exploration, or whatever you want to call it, is going to happen mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, before, before we move on into, um, you know, how, how do we navigate through that crisis? I, I would just love to hear, um, you know, and, and I'll, whoever, whoever can, you know, jump in on this is uh, what, what's a, what's a faith crisis or like a theological crisis that has just, that you've been exploring it for weeks or months or and again, it could be present, could be something that happened um, in the past too. Well, all three of us could probably speak to this personally. I just think, you know, uh, COVID and me getting sick caused a crisis of belief. Mm -hmm. And then Crystal can probably speak to this better than anybody because of, um, what she and Tom went through with the loss of a child. So I'll defer to you, Crystal. I mean, you're spot on any, I think anytime someone experiences tragedy that doesn't make sense and feels unredeemable, it, you have to ask questions about the narrative of a good God who is all powerful. And so that I don't think we're different than anybody who's been through that or Stuart, that I feel like your kids and, and your wife were definitely asking that question while you were sick, too. I know your team was. We were all wrestling with what does this mean and why is this happening? Yeah, there's, there's something really probing about, like, for my situation specifically, uh, people praying just as hard for someone to live and they don't live. And then, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I don't even like bringing it up on stage because you're standing in front of someone that probably lost somebody. Mm -hmm. Just this past week at the this last camp that I did, two people walked up to me and said, yeah, one of them was my dad. So why does, why does, yeah, why does prayer work for this person? And it, gosh, I know me, I'm not worth any more worthy um, and not this other person. And when you're praying for Everly and it, you know, you're mm -hmm. begging the creator of the universe to mm -hmm. do a miracle and he chooses or it doesn't happen. See, I'm even mm -hmm. choosing how I'm, I'm even 
how I'm even responding to it because um, it just changes the way that you think about God, about providence, about sovereignty, about his omniscience, mm -hmm. um, all of those things. And I would add, I had very good answers to all of those questions before it happened to me. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to memorize some theological phrases or to memorize some answers about, well, we just live in a broken world until it's your world that's broken. And I, I remember hearing people say that in response to me and thinking, even if that's true, that is the most painful, cold and asinine thing you could say to someone who's hurting um because those answers don't work for me anymore mm -hmm. they they work when it's at a distance they don't work up close you know, you know, I, go ahead candace i want to add to this and i don't know and i've been i'm hesitating here because i want to walk lightly here because i don't believe in the redemptive aspect of everything right mm -hmm. But I will say, as you know, um, journeying alongside of both of you all spiritually during those moments, right? Um, Stuart and Crystal, both of you, my family, we prayed heavily. We prayed a lot, right? I mean, my family, my, my children still mention Everly, right? They do. And for them to be able to see the outcome of both, it creates created with them a different faith foundation. Mm -hmm. And I think for them, um, it's important for them to be able to see that and to see how God might show up in ways that you might want God to show up and how God might not show up in ways that you want God to show up. Because the complexity of God and the complexity of our faith is so incredibly vast I feel like it just creates, a, it created a different um, en engagement or understanding or relationship with God, mm -hmm. with them having, huh? through our family, having spiritually walked alongside of you all mm -hmm. through those things. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing too, Caleb, that's interesting about this is it's helped me, I've had to get there, but it's also helped me have a lot more patience, understanding, and extend grace to people who come to a different conclusion about God that I have. Mm -hmm. There's a part of yep. me that wonders if the reason why we have as many denominations as we do is that people have looked at the same scriptures and come to a different conclusion because it's what works best for them. Mm -hmm. And how crazy is it to think that God's big enough to be, okay, cool. But mm -hmm. but we keep fighting as if there is one and only one logical conclusion about the way that God works. And I'm just not, maybe he's so big that he, <laughs> there isn't one logical conclusion about him. So if you, you know, you're a five point Calvinist and believe that tulips are the only God ordained flower, that's amazing. You were chosen. And if you feel like you have free will and, you know, so much of calamity in life is caused by, you know, our ability to choose, that's amazing as well. And if you're a universalist and you believe all of us are going to heaven, we all hope you're right. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But at the end of the day, you're still trusting in this Jesus entity that none of us can get our arms around, but all of us are wanting to follow so desperately. I th- at least that's where I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just as you were talking, uh, Crystal, I think you were the one who mentioned it. Sometimes there just aren't good answers to the questions, mm-hmm. whether it's a big question or a very personal question or a very small question. And so as as comfortable, and again, any of you feel free to jump in on this. Like if, I don't know, maybe just go with me on this. If answers aren't the things that we need to be looking for in in deconstruction, tell tell me what might be helpful for us to look for in that process of our faith, in our process of, of questioning and this process of curiosity and of following Jesus and even of trying to follow Jesus too. Hmm. Well, I, I will set the ladies up here. One of the things that we discovered in our research is this idea that we all begin in life with a peaceful narrative and that peaceful narrative at some point gets disrupted by some sort of, disruptor it could be you know we we've lived through disruptors for the last gosh since 2016 if we're getting really really honest but especially the last three years with covid racial unrest political unrest you know we are a nation that continues to allow a lack of gun control to wreak havoc on the next generation um you know we could go on and on and on and on and on and so that that disruptor causes the next generation and older people like us to begin to rethink some things. But I think to your question, and ladies, y'all jump in here, I think the goal of deconstructing is to try to get back to a peaceful narrative. Mm -hmm. Like what we're trying, what every teenager and every adult who is deconstructing their faith is trying to do is to get back to some sort of semblance of this is what makes sense to me. Is that fair, ladies, in what we discovered in our research? I think it is. I would also say for the listener who's like, what research are you talking about? Um, There was a team here at Orange who set out, interestingly enough, not as part of an assignment or a publishing deal. They just set out to understand more about deconstruction. Stuart was on that team. Uh, Sarah Anderson was on that team. Darren Kaiser was on that team. Candace and I joined later closer to Orange Conference and um, when we began to share some of this research. But through tons and tons of reading and tons and tons of study, they essentially came up with this map that most people follow during deconstruction that begins with what you said, Stuart, a peaceful narrative or a peaceful story about God, the universe, and how it all works. And then something disrupts it and goes, that's not how it all works. And now I have to deal with those questions and try to get back to a story I can be okay with about God, the universe, and how it all works. And what's interesting is there's a key moment after that disruption when they tend to interact with us, the church, when they tend to interact with a parent who's a believer or a small group leader, a volunteer, a pastor. And the way that we handle those moments will determine whether they're willing to keep searching or whether they take an exit ramp. 
And our goal is not to hand them the perfect answer that they'll never have any more questions again, because that's not real. That's not real life. I still have lots of questions and we'll probably always have them. Our goal is to help them develop the skill of continuing to walk that cycle, continuing to walk back through questions. And now there are new questions and I'm still back in search of a peaceful narrative rather than taking the nearest exit. Um, I want to jump in on this, just, you know, kind of diving into this, this question a little bit. There's a reason I'm hesitating here is because I think that it's impossible to journey and I might disagree with myself by the time I finish talking. So I'm just going to go rambling for a second, but I think that it's, I don't, I think it's impossible to journey through this or deconstruction and return to a peaceful narrative without an answer or some sort of a response, right? Um, I feel like a response is an answer. Mm -hmm. I feel like it might not necessarily be a concrete answer, but I feel like it is an answer, right? And even if the answer is, as my grandmother would say, well, understand it better by and by, that's an answer, right? I don't necessarily have to understand it today, but there might come a day when I do understand it, right? Um, and, and I don't know that that there is something else that can help people um, resolve it because reconciliation is what we're looking for, is what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. And that reconciliation manifests in many different ways. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it might be a concrete understanding of how you might've understood a certain scripture or a certain text or understood how God exists within the, the world. I mean, it's something as simple as, um, the omnipresence of God and how you understand that now, you know what I mean? So I think that it's, it's, it's all some sort of a response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The way I, the way I see it and picture it in my mind, Caleb, is it's any movie that's become a franchise. Because if you think about those movies, they start with a peaceful narrative. Something is a disruptor. There's a fight to get back to a peaceful narrative. And then there's part two. And that peaceful narrative gets interrupted. And there's a fight to get back. And then there's Rambo three. You know, I mean, think about the Rocky series. Rock, the Rocky series alone is deconstruction, getting back to a peaceful narrative. And then it even went in, in decree. I mean, we... Like it's just deconstructing over and over and over and over and over. And that's in many ways what I think Candace is alluding to. You get to an answer, but that answer isn't concrete. Yes. Something else is coming. Something else. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with this generation, they have been, there's been such an onslaught of not just disruptors, but we're talking ginormous disruptors. Uh, and and I think that's part of why there's so much tension. And you couple that to Crystal's point earlier, you couple that with some of what is disrupting the next generation is the hypocrisy of faith communities and the faith institution. Mm -hmm. So so now they're going, yep. who do we turn to? Can I turn to the church when the church is a part of the 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 church is a part of the disruptor? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Mm. Right. The way that the church and the way that the church engages and responds can shape the way that an entire person or an entire generation sees God, their faith, and, and the way that it's carried out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I'd love to touch on what you were uh, talking about there, Candice, of, and I'd love to touch on it on, on two levels. One, mm-hmm. there's, there's the individuals of the church, and then there also is, like, the governing body of the church wow. as well. And I, I would love to hear both on an individual side and as, like, the collective, you know, church body what, what are some things that maybe you guys discovered in the research or just some of the things that you're even seeing in your own life of how people as individuals and the church body can be better stewards of the questions that are asked of people? Well, I think, you know, I think that part of what I, what I just said is some response to that, you know, yeah. um, one, just, just being willing to engage a conversation Right. I think there's a the way that churches either lean in or lean away, either they directly communicate something to our teenagers because they're listening. They directly communicate something to adults who are paying attention to. Because, you know, the way that I've experienced experience the church, you know, the churches, the churches the place where you go and, and hear about different things that aren't that aren't just happening within you know the Bible and our faith, but within, within the world too, you know. And if the and if these certain things are not welcome within the church, then I think it un, it unconsciously sends a message that the church either doesn't care, that God can't handle it, um, or certain conversations aren't welcome in certain spaces. So. You know, I think the way that we lean in and engage in in, in conversations and, and acknowledge the things that are happening in, in the world, it I mean, it's essential. The church cannot stay silent when it comes to, to certain topics. Saying silence is, you know, I was talking with some friends the other day and we were talking about, you know, how sometimes people's silence can be mistaken as, you know, um, you know, agreeing with certain certain issues. Now, if someone is choosing to stay silent and someone makes an assumption mm-hmm. that you agree with, with certain things, you know, I mean, that that's a wrongful, wrong assumption, right? That's a negative assumption. However, if if the culture is that if you, in, in the way that we're saying things nowadays, right, if you're standing, if you're against something and it's not on social media, then you're for it, right? Like, I mean, you don't... <laughs> Like if, if I don't go on your social media and I don't see something about this, then I'm automatically going to be assuming that you aside with something different, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the, the the culture and the way that the world the world we live in, and if churches have got to become more comfortable um, addressing those hard conversations if they're if they aren't already. I would add as churches, I think we got to get really, really clear on what it means to be a Christian and what we've added to Mm -hmm. what it means to be a Christian. I think if we dig into the New Testament, Jesus had so many fewer requirements than what we often put on to a salvation experience, whether that's a confirmation class or a say a prayer at the end of camp. There's a lot of add on or or who you vote um, for. Or who you vote for, right? Um, I was looking at some, some, uh, I guess it's curriculum, like a, a packet for teenagers that listed 50 essential <laughs> things that every believes. Five zero. And I was like, what? Where is that? That was not 
anywhere in the Gospels, and I bring it up because for kids, if we say this issue is an in or out issue, then they can't raise a question until they've decided it's okay that they're out. They can't even have a conversation until they've decided it's okay to no longer be part of this community. And by the time they've gotten that far, it's easier just to walk away. What if we kept the main thing the main thing and said, hey, you don't have to agree with us. You don't have to believe the things we believe, but you're still part of the family. You're still in, and we're not going to act like you're out. You're in. Um, which gives them the space and the safety to raise the questions they need to and raise. And in some regard, Caleb, it it I think it points to the next generation actually being on a better path than we think they're on, mm-hmm. because in, it's our humble opinion that the next generation is starting to really zero in on what the way of Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I scribbled this at our cohort this past week over to Crystal. We were sitting close to each other. Technically everything that's in the Bible by definition is biblical, but not everything that is in the Bible is the way of Jesus. And, Mm -hmm. and I think this generation is, is learning how to decipher the two. And then they are, you know, when you consider that the way of Jesus is love and they're looking at their faith institution and they're going, okay, we're incredibly subjective and selective about to Candace's point, which things we will drum, you know, beat the drum about and which things we'll be quiet about. And right now it seems to be the flavor of the day that we will attack gender identity and sexual fluidity, but we will be deathly quiet about systemic racism and the divorce rate. Well, we've got a generation mm-hmm. behind us that are going, or, you know, the next generation is going, we call bull on that. Like you can't be against mm-hmm. one and, quiet on the other because that's not the way of Jesus. That's where mm-hmm. I think there's tension. Yeah. And especially when things are happening, because, you know, hey, we are what? We're a week out from the date of this being recorded. We are a week out of the, the you know, um, oh, gosh, um, Alabama riverboat brawl, right? Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Montgomery, right. Um, and so... There, there's a network that I started a couple of months ago. Um, it's for Black next gen, next gen faith leaders, and I posted a comment in the in the in the group last week, asking, you know, how people were planning on engaging the conversation, the conversation with their with their teenagers. You know, so this, again, this network is full of Black children and youth pastors throughout the nation. And people started commenting, asking questions of, you know, should I bring it up? Should I wait for the teenagers to bring it up? I'm planning on, you know, just engaging a conversation, just talking about what happened. And, you know, just, you know, people were really just trying to jump in and, and just trying to figure out the baseline of how to start this conversation with their teenagers, right? And I think for for many, me putting that out there was a reminder for some to engage in the conversation mm-hmm. because this is what's happening in our world but the truth is not only black churches should have been having that conversation or should be having that conversation mm-hmm. all churches need to be having that conversation because that situation was so incredibly complex right yep. and i think that when we when we ignore what's happening in the world and we ignore the bigness of it then we don't do 
you know, our, ourselves an opportunity to really have some conversation, some ethical conversations, you know, because I, I introduced the conversation to my kids, but we have ethical conversations, seven and nine. Let's have some conversations about ethics and the complexity of how things live out within the world, right? And what that does for them is it gives them an opportunity to know how to live out their faith in real life. Mm-hmm. So that they know, hey, in church, I can talk about real life and, and I can go out in the world and I know how to engage it differently because I believe that the God that I serve and the Jesus that I follow was a is a God and a Jesus of justice, mm-hmm. right? That would have been completely dissatisfied with that situation mm-hmm. that happened, right? Um, and, and when I'm saying that situation, I mean that the racism that experienced within that situation, right. right? Right. I mean, did people take it a little bit too far and get carried away? Yes, but what that was was it was trauma. Right. It was it was it was trauma being manifested on a deep, deep, deep level. And I think sometimes people, because they don't feel as if they are um, they haven't been stewards of certain topics, students of certain topics, and they haven't studied it for a certain long. They don't feel as if they are equipped to engage in the conversation. But like I remind people all the time, you don't necessarily have to be an expert in the field. You know, you have to be willing to be able to engage in a conversation and, and be okay with even saying, I don't know, I'm not sure, but I believe in this moment in this space, we need to open the door of opportunity to be able to have a conversation. So we're not ignoring mm-hmm. what's happening outside of, outside of the church. Mm-hmm. One of the things that should be mentioned here too, Caleb, very quickly, we're dealing with the most educated generation in the history mm-hmm. of the world. So part of what intimidates mm-hmm. adults as it relates to deconstruction conversations is they are so far ahead of us intellectually, educationally. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, any pastor today can be fact checked in three minutes, whereas 15 mm-hmm. years ago, you could say whatever you wanted to say and nobody. I guess that's true. Um, not today. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd love to go back uh, to the research that we've mentioned several times. And I would love to hear, um, kind of, and Stuart, you know, you, you've referenced a lot of it. So maybe I'd, I'd love to hear from Candace and from Crystal. I just get of, your way of, of saying I've talked too much. I, I feel, I smell what you're cooking there. <laughs> you, you take it however you Ladies, want. Carry on. I'd love to, I'd love to hear from, uh, you Crystal and from Candace of some of the parts of the research that, uh, were maybe eye opening to you or just really resonated with you. I think something that really stood out to me, and it was because it rang so true, um, was the idea that deconstruction is not something you choose. It's something that happens to you. And um, even as we were prepping for this conversation, I saw a, a definition of deconstruction that referred to picking apart what you believe. And my note was, I fundamentally disagree yeah. with this mm-hmm. definition. <laughs> because I think there was a time in the church where we would have said these are people who are just trying to throw it away they are just trying to deconstruct it they are just trying to poke poke at faith and that's definitely not been my experience i also don't think it's the experience of most people that deconstruct i think it's a response to a situation you didn't create and now have the responsibility to deal with so that was something that I know resonated even in the crowd as we talked about this at Orange Conference was saying, this is not something that your teenagers or your young adults or your volunteers are choosing. This is something that they are now responding to mm-hmm. and walk alongside them as you walk alongside anybody that something has happened to. Mm-hmm. So I'd say for me, one of the, the biggest pieces that um, 
It was eye-opening for me, but I don't know that it was necessarily news, if that makes sense, right? Um, because I feel like it's something that I've always known because my, again, my grandmother was power to the people. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it was something that I've always known, but I don't know that I necessarily had the language around it in that, in that kind of way. But the team had an opportunity to interview Lisa Sharon Harper, and she talked about um, decolonization preceding deconstruction. And I think that, you know, putting those two together and really just wrestling with wrestling with that and and understanding the decolonization um, is just kind of just taking off the narrative that colonization needed in order to thrive, right? And and deconstruction, you know, then then comes in, you know, after you're able to take off those narratives and you're like, oh wait, your eyes are become open to certain things. I think for me that was having that language wrestled around there gave, felt I felt like it gave me a greater greater bandwidth maybe mm -hmm. to really engage in the conversation from the angle of what has happened within, you know, um, all of Christianity, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stuart, is there anything that resonated with you? I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word, Caleb. <laughs> not saying a word. I'm, I'm in protest of your last little start. Crystal, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, uh, you know, several minutes ago, and you and you talked about how there's these add-ons that we can add onto mm -hmm. the gospel into following Jesus. And I'd, I'd love to just kind of open that up. And you know, Stuart, you mentioned uh, so, so one of the add-ons sometimes is you know political parties, mm -hmm. or if you vote a certain way. <laughs> I'd love to hear what are some of the additional add-ons that you just see um, that are just very prevalent um, throughout different forms of Christianity. I think there's so many things that we unconsciously say. Anytime we say all Christians think or all Christians do, we have created add-ons, mm -hmm. right? So if we think that all Christians have to agree with us on our stance on any particular topic, but of course, gender and sexuality, which Stuart mentioned, is one of those, then we've added something, right? Um, but even beyond that, we've added things like church membership, mm -hmm. which is in nowhere a prerequisite to be a follower of jesus um we've added words and phrases you have to say in a prayer we've added words and phrases you have to repeat in a creed we've added lines to creeds that because we didn't like the old creeds and said that those were required for salvation and i just think anytime we add any of these as a this is required to be a follower of jesus statement then a kid no longer has permission to ask questions or deconstruct that thing Candace or Stuart, do you see any other add-ons? I, I was going to, I was going to say that especially for adults, ladies, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the hardest part of deconstruction for adults is not the belief part; it's the belonging part. Because mm -hmm. for me to uh, start changing how I view God, the Scriptures, theology, etc may cost me the people I do life with. Mm. I think our churches, this is a, this, there is no scientific research data behind the comment I'm about to make, but I'm convinced our churches are full of people 
who have changed their mind about God in some way, shape or form, but they're scared to death to lose their community. And so they will mm -hmm. stay in a system that they don't agree with because belonging is trumping belief. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. and in some regard, that's an add on, like it's important. Mm -hmm. Gosh, all of us in this, you know, Brady Bunch square believe in community, but at the expense of believing something that is so contradictory to the heart of God, I think is dangerous. Mm. Mm. I, the only thing that I really throw in there, I mean, I, I, I amen and echo everything that's already been said. I don't know that I can really jump in here without someone calling me not a Christian. Um, but I, I'd say that one piece now that that I'd say for me, you know, is, is pretty big is, is denominations. You know, um, it, one of the, oh gosh. So, you know, as people are journeying through the deconstruction process, you know, we we mentioned in our, you know, when we did this, this breakout, this workshop, you know, a few months ago, that there's several different migrations that people journey through, right? And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people end up navigating through a deconstruction journey, but we kind of just simplified them to a couple of different, different migrations. And, one of the, the the migrations that we mentioned was swapping people swapping you know one one church for another going from high church to low church and i think that and i think Stuart, you alluded to this a little bit earlier to some degree i think that you know denominations is it has it's, it's the evolution of some deconstruction process mm -hmm. that people have had, you know, oh, let me go create something different that really sits better with me. Let me go create something different over here. But what it's really done is it's create a bunch of divisions among us and separated us and not necessarily allowing ourselves to unite. So there's some people who end up looking, you know, might want to become be Christians, but have to pick a denomination and none of the denominations feel right and they don't feel right because it wasn't ordained by good jesus jesus right. never said you are methodist over here and you are you are this and you know god jesus never did that right and, and i think that sometimes people have a oh but then we get to non-denomination so that just solves it all so we just stop talking <laughs> non-denominations also known as baptist churches uh, undercover <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think just it's because this causes a hard time for some people to 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 find some sort of a connection, a connection place. Where we put this whole denomination hat on on so many different things. You know, Stuart, I was just thinking about what you were talking about with the belonging piece of it, and that's one of the things that. Um, at the church that I work at, I'm incredibly proud of because one of the things that we've implemented, we call it a this was this is before I just recently joined the church at the beginning of the year, but that's been happening is we call it a non-policy. Mm -hmm. And essentially it's that, hey, everybody is welcome to serve. You know, you're not going to get involved in the church. And then, you know, on the back end, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. We did not tell you all of the requirements. All the, the only requirement is to be a, is a follower, is a senior follower of Jesus to the best of your ability, but we just complicated a lot more mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know that um, we're we're getting uh, somewhat close uh, to the end of their time, the end of our time, and so I, I have one or two more questions that I want to ask. But before that, uh, I, I just love giving people just the opportunity to talk about like what is what is on your mind based on what we've talked about, or even things that we haven't covered yet. 
that any of you want to make sure that we cover and talk about um, before our conversation ends. Crystal, go for it. <laughs> the whole conversation, I keep thinking about this uh, gentleman that was at Orange Conference, and gosh, I hope he listens to this because we just love this guy, and I'm not sure we ever got the chance to tell him. Um, he came to a breakout that the three of us were leading, and he sat about the third row back, and you can tell, when you, everyone in ministry can tell, when you're looking at an audience and there's one person who is angry. <laughs> you can see them and we all saw him his arms were folded he was scowling he looked like he was maybe a bit older than all of the presenters and i had decided in my head what he was thinking and it was mm -hmm. not good uh, that he was thinking all of this deconstruction stuff was just total rubbish and that we were rubbish for talking about it and so at the end there was a little time for Q&A and they passed around a microphone and I silently prayed for him not to get it um, I thought there's a good chance he's gonna tear us up um, and I watched that microphone go from side to side of the room and of course somebody fumbled and he got the microphone and we all kind of held our breath and he stood up and began with I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've been teaching God's word for 25 years. And I thought, oh, here it comes. And he said, and finally, I know what's happening mm -hmm. to me. It's called deconstruction. Mm -hmm. This is what is happening to me. And what do I do with the anger I feel? Because I have studied God's word and I've seen it wrong for so long. And we all just kind of stood there with our mouths hanging open for a few minutes because we had all, at least I, I can't say we had all, I had all decided no, who this man was, what his story that. We had all decided. <laughs> okay. We'd all decided who this man was, what his story was, and what he was thinking. And he has stood out in my mind since then as a reminder of, I don't know anybody's story. I don't know what questions come up in their prayer time. I don't know what has happened to them that has made them rethink everything. So when I speak with certainty on a topic, when I speak in a way that all Christians believe X, I just need to accept that some people in the room may not be in that category, and I may have just told them mm -hmm. that they're out. So he's been a great reminder for me if I don't know anything mm -hmm. about anybody. Yeah. Yeah. We should all probably be reminded that the people closest to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus weren't really certain everything that it meant. And the farther yep. away, 2020 something years away from that, we are so stinking certain about everything. And those closest to him only were certain about that he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and he wants us to love people. That that rattles around in my mind as people are unraveling their faith in some regard. Candace, any anything that comes top to mind that you want to make sure uh, that we talk about before I get into the last couple of questions? Yeah, I just keep as we we talk through this. <clears throat> excuse me, I just keep thinking about that ministry leader who might be personally deconstructing or journeying through this, and it feels as if they don't have the permission or the freedom to be where they are because they're leading within the church. Mm -hmm. And as, as, a, as a faith leader within the church, you, you have it all figured out, right? People think that you have it all figured out and, and you, you've gone through those, 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 those steps, and those processes. And, 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 um, you know, you're not in the same place as some of the other people are. Um, 
But I just want to encourage you to be where you are, because the the the, the more that you have the the ability to navigate through that within a safe space, within a safe community. I'm not saying go to your teenagers or your, you know, within the church or preach a sermon, you know, or bleeding all over the congregation. That's not what I'm saying. But I think having having a sound community of friends who are able to walk with you and navigate with you through that, through that process is probably one of the best things that you can have so that you have the freedom in this space to be where you are and you have permission to feel what it is that you feel and to wrestle the things that you might personally be discovering and, and wrestling with um, as, you, as you continue navigating through this faith, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, just I see you and and I get it. I get what it's like. And maybe you're at a church where you have just different differing beliefs than, than some things and you're just wrestling with whether or not, hey, do I need to stay at this church? Because I have different beliefs mm-hmm. about where it is at church, but what it, my church believes, but this is my livelihood, right. you know? Um, and that's a tough spot to be in. It's a really, really tough spot to be right. in, you know? Um, but but we, we see you, we see you and, and we hear you and praying that you're able to have a safe place to really wrestle through some of those things to, to get what you need in order to navigate through some of those, those conversations that are essential. For your faith development yeah. too. Yeah. Belonging is one thing. Being employed is a completely different other. Right. Yeah. 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 You know that that makes me think of, and we we've touched on this a little bit, but um, for someone who finds themselves like they are in the they are in the middle, like they are asking the questions right now. What has helped um, you all just in that part? I know we've talked about belonging. We've talked about community. Um, any uh, any further thoughts on that? I have some really good friends. I do. Yeah. I say I say my friends are top notch. I mean, there there's nothing that is that is off limits in in a conversation. And some of them are ministry, some of them aren't. And and but they're spiritually mature enough to be able to engage in in some conversations. I'd say that. Um, another thing that I, that I did I started doing. I started this when I was in high school, and this is honestly one of the first kind of taboo things that I felt like I did as a, as a Christian is. Um, my mom's ex-boyfriend, well, his, she was his boyfriend at the time, his, their relationship has no relevance to this story. I don't know why I'm going here. But <laughs> he gave me this, the book, The Four Agreements, right? Mm. And he introduced that to me. And the way that that book opened me up and, and allowed me to just experience um, a whole different view or a, a look of the view of the world, right? And then he introduced me to meditating, right? And I was afraid to tell people that I was I meditated because, you know, a lot of times people associate med- with med- meditation with, you know, some sort of like Buddhism or Hinduism or Jainism or something like that. And I'm necessarily saying that Christians have the ability to meditate, but I feel like the peace that it's given me um, when I've especially meditated scripture or I've just meditated on a, on, a, on a thought or a word that I feel like God has given me has really helped me to just be able to wrestle through through some of those things hmm. uh any any other thoughts on what's helped you either Stuart or crystal i i think i've shared this with these guys before that there was a time where i was frustrated with the church and trusted the goodness of god but when i could no longer trust the goodness of god the goodness of god's people mm-hmm. kept me going almost flipped for me the the way that community has rallied around us the way that the church has rallied around us honestly has been the breadcrumbs back to faith for me and my husband and so community and specifically faith community has been really important 
Um, and then the other thing is for those that are in ministry or find themselves having to teach, this is really tricky when our faith is still in process. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out what do I say from a stage if I'm not sure I believe X. And I don't know if this is the right answer. I don't think I have the right answer. My answer for me has been I don't teach it until I'm done with it, until I'm done processing it. So if I am still in process on something, if I'm still questioning, if I'm still working it out, I'm not going to bring those questions to 15-year-olds and just throw them up on a stage. Um, those are those are yes. middle-aged questions. <laughs> those are not teenage questions. So I'm just committed to unless I'm solid in that particular area, I, I can't teach at that particular time. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I don't have anything to say. Keep going. Well, the, the last thing that I want to ask all of you about, and we've... Um, We've talked about them a little bit in this, but I would I would just love to hear through through your curiosity and your exploration and your deconstruction of faith. I, I would just love um, to close out our conversation by um, by hearing about what have you learned about Jesus Oof. just through that. I, I know. Listen, the 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 emotion is just hitting me too. But as, as much as you're comfortable, I, I would just love to. Um, to hear that I have become even more convinced that the nuclear thread of the essence and character of God is his love mm -hmm. it's not his sovereignty it's not his omnipotence mm -hmm. I mean, to, play it, to state it plainly, who cares if God is sovereign and omnipotent if he doesn't love? And that has, that has changed, that has made Jesus come, become more alive to me, the way of Jesus to become more important to me. Mm. Following in the way of Jesus uh, is, is not important, it's critical. Mm -hmm. It's changed the way I think about the cross. It's changed the way I think about the resurrection. It's changed the way I think about the capital C church. It's changed the way I think about my responsibility and desire to love Kelly and our kids. That would be my answer. I think in the last few months, I have been revisiting all the moments that Jesus was incredibly human. We're very quick to say, yeah, yeah, but Jesus was fully God. And yes, but also there are these human moments where Jesus was in the, just the complexity of life and said things that weren't easy and things like the same guy who said, honor your parents said, let the dead bury their dead because he was living in the complexity of family structures. The same guy who was fully God said, my God, why have you mm. forsaken me? Because being human is complicated. And I've over the last few months been over and over seeing Jesus in his humanity and not just his divinity mm. and going, oh, that's how you navigated that. I hear such frustration in your voice that I didn't hear when I read it as mm. only God hear such vulnerability in your voice that I didn't hear when you were only God in my mind 
And I think in that way, hopefully I'm learning to be a little more human too. Gosh, that was so good, you all. Um, the best thing that I can probably The best way that I can probably respond to that is, you know, I can't, I can't, there have been, I can't say that I've, I've gone through, <clears throat> maybe this is the same thing, maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, but I can't say that I've ever really gone through a major deconstruction experience. I think my entire life, <laughs> because of the different situations and the different things that have happened to me have caused me to question God's goodness, God's presence, um, and all those omnis that people say within the church, right? And the closest that I've, and I, and I feel like to, to some degree, this is not, this is not um, an exact parallel here with this text. So I, I see the, I see the, the eisegesis in it. <laughs> um, but I think about I think about Paul when he had the thorn in his side in Second Corinthians, right? And you know, and you know, he pleaded for God to take it away, for the Lord to take this take this thorn away. And um, but then God says, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in perfect in your weakness." You know. Um, and then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I boast, right? Mm -hmm. All the more gladly in my weakness, because so the Christ's power may rest on me, right? And I think about how a lot of times when I have stood in places of not knowing, right? Or just stood in these places of so just such confusion, trying to wrestle with the theodicy of life and, and, and different things that have come my way. And I just stand reassured and I am constantly, you know, God, God hasn't, Jesus has not let me down, has not forsaken me. And I've realized that whole in my weakness, then I God is made strong or, or um, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And all of those things have always <laughs> come through, you know, um, and it takes me to the, another scripture that we used to say in church a whole lot, you know, um, the righteous have not been forsaken, even not ever see gone begging for bread, you know, just the ways that God has shown up and Jesus has been present despite the different questions that I might have asked and, 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 um, it's it just echoing everything that that has already been said. I just I just feel like that's it's it's one of those things where, um, as we say in my churches, you can't make me doubt them because I know too much about them, Ooh. right? It's it's yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you, thank you all for just your honesty and for your vulnerability as well, just sharing. Um, sharing your research and even just sharing your lives as well. So thank you for that. I know that people are going to want to keep up with uh, all of you. And so um, what's the best place for, or the best way for people to keep in contact with you guys? I'm at Crystal C. Chang on all platforms. 
I'm the Rev Can, the Rev Can, but you probably won't follow me on, find me on Twitter. You find me on Twitter, it's probably boring follow. <laughs> if you find me on Twitter, it's a bad day. <laughs> if you find me on Twitter and Facebook, I, something has happened. Uh, Check uh, on him. Uh, I am Stuart Hall, the most narcissistic uh, social media handle ever. Uh. Great. Well, thank you all so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, just for just a wonderful conversation. And thank you all for doing the work and for uh, choosing to share it with us as well. Thank you, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. You know, I think just reflecting on the conversation with Candace and Crystal and with Stuart, a couple of things that come to my mind is how important it is to just be honest. Honest with yourself about, about what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're going through, no matter how much that you might not like the experience. I know that for me, that's one of the hardest things to do is, you know, sometimes I can reference myself of like, this is what I'm going through and I don't really like it. I'll have to preface it that way. This is what's happening. I really don't like it. And I really wish that it really, that it wasn't this way. And I guess with that, of being honest with God as well, being honest with yourself, being honest with God about what you're going through and trying to find people that you could be honest with as well. We need the encouragement of others. We need, we need the the camaraderie we need the companionship of other people as well because life is hard and life often demands a lot and sometimes we just need other people to help us carry that burden to carry what we're going through and i know that it's that's tough it's tough to find people that you can trust and it's tough to engage with with people or engage on on different things or even even just be vulnerable enough to share your questions very share your curiosity share some of the things that you're going through and honestly that's why this podcast was started because i i felt like that i didn't have a ton of places to where i could explore these questions and i thought but you know what helped is I felt like there were even podcasts or books to where I was like, there, people, there are other people exploring these questions. There are other people who are thinking about this. And that's what I want to do too. Even if it's just a helpful example to, to let you know that you're not alone. Let you know that, that it is okay to engage in your curiosity. That it's okay to ask really hard questions about faith about life and many other things as well because we're all on this journey and we're all just trying to fig- we're trying to figure it out and I'm I'm trying to figure out how how to follow Jesus and to love to love the people who are closest to me as well so those those are just a couple of things that I'm thinking about from this conversation and again if if you are on that journey if you are wanting to continue to learn and explore and grow please subscribe to my Substack. again each week i just send three things that i'm thinking about i e- i email it out this week 
each week of some of the things that are just engaging my curiosity and some of the things that I'm paying attention to. So with that, I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you to Candace and Crystal and Stuart for coming on the podcast as well. And thank you for uh, listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.